Hello and welcome to the Fresh Air Sci-Fi Show. I'm Joe, although apparently I'm Dave. <laughs> and I'm Joe, also Dave. so I might be Dave. <laughs> and I'm Philip. Oh no, wait, I'm Luke. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, No, you're Joe, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I should have checked that before we went live, eh? <laughs> why would we ever get anything technically correct to begin with it wouldn't be us god damn it uh, I'm, I'm sorry I, I can't be rather to write updated heretic right now I'm writing Luke okay that's fine <laughs> so hello and welcome to the Fresh Sci-Fi Show um, tonight we are stepping slightly away from philosophy into the realms of psychology and uh, we're going to be discussing mental illness. And, of course, we need him here for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Do you want me to start? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you sounded like you were going to say something, but, you know, oh, no. it's okay. So that's my first technical difficulty of the night it's in okay. my brain. <laughs> that's cool. Dave, Dave, do one. You get something wrong now. <laughs> so yeah we're here to discuss mental illness and uh the title might be a little bit misleading with uh is mental illness real i mean the answer to that one is yes and we're going to tell you why but so uh luke tell us what is mental illness well that's the question i was going to ask you guys first just to find out what your understanding of what mental illness is um, so, what do you guys think is? Dave? <laughs> Damn it, why oh, me? <laughs> well, we need him to get something wrong first, so, you know. <laughs> True. Um, just basically any kind of problems with cognitive function that kind of swerve from the standard um, and might impact on your life in a negative way. Okay, okay. Or cause you problems with day-to-day -day function or, you know, okay. that kind of thing. Yeah. Joe, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, I'd go along sort of the same lines in, in the sense that it's, uh, it's an issue in the brain, obviously, that can cause uh, emotional distress in certain ways. Or um, I suppose you could actually have a, a mental illness that, that went the other way and made you feel positive all the time but resulted mm. in negative effects as well but essentially it's a, a, a dysfunction in the brain um that affects your everyday life uh, yeah so those are really good ex those are really good explanations of what mental illness is so it's that kind of like dysfunction usually it's around uh the disorder is um around like kind of our day-to-day -day living yeah so um, and I think it's really important to, when we're discussing mental illness to discuss what mental illness isn't, right? <laughs> because because so many people kind of talk about mental illness and they, they talk about it as if like, you know, it's, it's uh, some like a, a phrase I like to use is uh, pathologize normal behavior. So for instance, right, you're about to go on stage and give a speech in front of 100,000 people and you get really nervous and you almost, you're, you're like, you're like, I don't really want to step on that stage. I don't want to do it, right? Is that mental illness? No, it's a natural reaction. Not necessarily, no. yeah. Exactly, yeah, right? And But there will be people who say, you know, that's anxiety or that's, you know, like, oh, I have anxiety because, you know, these extreme situations that we get put into 
um, we get we feel anxious in. There's a difference yeah. between feeling anxious and suffering with an anxiety disorder. Uh, just in the same way as there's a difference between feeling depressed and suffering with depression. There's plenty of things that we can experience without it actually being a persistent disorder. Precisely. Yeah. And this is where I guess the medical model of mental health comes in, right? So the medical model uh, treats our mental health like we would treat physical health. So, you know, you have like chronic illnesses, you have like uh, acute illnesses, you have these things that kind of like affect us. Um, and depending on the level of effect depends on whether it's a disability or whether it's just like a, you need a, a, a short uh, kind of like period of treatment or something like that. So it, it looks at it that way rather than it thinking about it in terms of like, um, um, like some other ideas are like, you know, that it's like uh, negative energy and stuff like that, you know. So it's it's very much medically based. So you know, if you have uh, let's use schizophrenia for example, which is a a psychotic um, uh, mental illness that has these positive and negative symptoms. Positive symptoms being hallucination, hallucinations and delusions, and then negative symptoms being more like depression, depressive symptoms. Um, that can be treated because it's a it's a it's a medical issue. You know, so you can treat it with medication or or therapies stuff like that. So that's what the medical model of mental health is, you know, that these things are treatable and that they're things that are wrong with us, you know, that we're not meant to be like that because we're not meant to have a broken leg, right? We're not meant to have diabetes. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not conducive to living healthily, right? So that's the idea is that, that schizophrenia is something that we're not meant to be so we can treat it in various ways. So the, along with things being attributed incorrectly, uh, you know, individual experiences you quite often hear people say so and so's mentally ill because of their belief or because of their lack right. of belief in something mm -hmm. and uh you know whether you're you're religious or not um neither side of that is is mental ill you can have religious people who are mentally ill and you can have atheists who are and non-religious people who are mentally ill as well um so it's kind of weird when we hear people say things like oh you know uh belief in god is a mental illness it's a delusion uh, or atheism is a mental illness it doesn't seem to make much sense i mean how could anyone actually classify it that way well so what i think this happens quite a lot with um people who are saying like uh somebody believing in a god is a delusion or a hallucination because there's no god there right but actually what they're doing is they're, they're looking at all the, the kind of um, like evidence that's out there for, for God. So, you know, the, the ones that you guys have talked about before, you know, contingency, they're looking at, you know, uh, fine tuning or personal experiences of like, you know, things happening to them and stuff. And people are saying because, oh, because there's like this imaginary element to it, it must be a delusion. And what I would say to that is that they, one, those people don't understand what delusions are <laughs> or hallucinations. <laughs> and um, the other thing is like, you know, like we all have irrational beliefs. Every single one of us has irrational beliefs. You know, uh, I have an irrational fear of mushrooms. I have a phobia of mushrooms, <laughs> right? I can't stand them. They make me feel sick and they, they freak me out and I get very nervous when I'm around them. It's really odd, right? <laughs> but like, that, like irrational beliefs are not, mental illness providing that they don't affect your day-to-day -day living right so mm -hmm. if you can function 
in a day-to-day way, you know, and you can ha- hold these irrational beliefs. Or even if they're like rationalized, you know, then it's not mental illness, you know. And you tend to find most um, people can function in society regardless of their particular religious beliefs or lack of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, yeah, it just doesn't fit the parameters. No, no. And like, so let's think about what hallucination is. Yeah. So hallucination is a perceived experience that didn't happen, right? Yeah. And usually we have to use other people to 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 kind of say that didn't happen, right? So other people have to say, well, I can't see that person or I can't hear that voice mm-hmm. or I can't smell that. Yeah. So, uh, but like God isn't necessarily about like hearing a voice saying, do this or do that. It's about how you feel as an individual. It's about your conscience. It's about your, you know, the the kind of like, emotions that you feel like an emotional buildup it's not it's not about those kind of like those sensory inputs it's more about how you feel and your emotions and stuff and that to me isn't that's not a hallucination no i suppose you can make yourself um hallucinate though um there are mm-hmm. there are, i suppose there are certain practices um religious or not but you often see um people in the group environment feeling a certain way feeling a certain, and feeling that sort of euphoria um side of things and some people can hallucinate off of the back of the euphoria um yeah. but again even then doesn't necessarily qualify as as mental illness because it's not stopping them from doing anything in the rest of their life it just can make them feel validated in their faith mm-hmm. exactly yeah and other things honest, that meant sorry go on i was just gonna say i mean to be honest there are times when when i've i've meditated and it's put me in a euphoric state um, mm. No, I didn't fall about and talk in tongues, but then not everybody who does get into that euphoric state does. Um, there have been other times where I've fallen about <laughs> talking in tongues. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, even then, so I've had a, a similar experience, but obviously, it, because it's not attached to to religion, it would it wouldn't be thought of that way by some of our uh, online counterparts. Um, is there a good way that you could explain to someone who says things like religion is a mental illness, theism is a mental illness, regardless of whether you feel um, that there is harm done by religion and certain religion and certain practices, you know, definitely I would agree there are harmful practices and harmful beliefs out there. But in a generalistic way, we wouldn't actually say it's a mental illness, um, although some people do. So how could you say to them, just quite concisely how it really isn't? Um, I would say that they are usually genuinely held beliefs that somebody has considered and decided are true in reality. Yep, fair. (laughs) And the other thing I would say about that whole thing is that it actually stigmatizes mental illness because what you're doing is you're painting the portrait of mental illness as this like really kind of negative thing that's a bit like... uh, childish to a certain extent and is like you know makes you act like makes you believe in like completely crazy things and you know you're 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 like oh these these people are crazy and you're you're actually stigmatizing mental illness by by saying like you know normal behavior which is what you don't agree with what is the percentage of people that suffer with mental illness at least at some point in their life well so they say that it's one in four adults I think that statistic is uh, massively under 
represented. I think a lot of people go through uh, situations of mental illness and never report it because those statistics, obviously self-reported statistics. So I would say it's probably one in two or one in one. Personally. So basically this is something that reported a quarter of the population will say they have. And I, I I think I'd, I'd have to agree with you from experiences of talking to people about things, even if it was, you know, they didn't have something that impacted their entire life. People have been, have suffered with mental illness for a time um, and through therapy and the like have been able to cope with it better. And they say, you know, I'm no longer suffering with it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say at least half of us, if not more, have suffered at some point in our life. So therefore, <laughs> by stigmatizing mental illness, we're doing harm to not just everyone. <laughs> we're doing it to everyone. Yeah. 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 I think as well with the whole religion is a mental illness thing, it sort of pushes that narrative that all you've got to do is stop believing some daft thing and you're cured of your mental illness. <laughs> oh, exactly. Like, you know, the, the, Go out for a long walk if you're feeling depressed, sort of narrative. <laughs> yeah, there's one. There's one thing I know, right? And that's that if you if you if you come into contact with somebody who has schizophrenia, and you say to them, "Am I five aren't out to get you?" That will not cure their schizophrenia. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Are so you why is that going to work? So if you think that if you think that people who believe in God are crazy and have like some sort of psychotic thing and then you're saying look how stupid you are even if you think that they have a mental illness you're getting it wrong by approaching <laughs> it in that way so it, these people that they, they don't genuinely mean it what they're meaning to say is that this person's crazy as an insult right and that's why it's stigmatizing yeah. of um of of mental illness because anytime someone says oh that's that you, you know when they mean it maliciously that you're crazy you know then to me that's you know they're they're contributing to the issues that people with mental illness face in society and in coming out and being honest about their you know their experiences mm. yeah i agree it so, also means that sorry go for it, Dave. the ones that are mocking them yeah the ones that are mocking them and saying that they're worthy of ridicule are basically saying well i think you're mentally ill and i think the mentally ill are worthy of ridicule yeah and and do any of you really want to be that sort of person the person that ridicules the mentally ill yeah uh, yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah it's it's i mean maybe it they really do, sad. well i well, mean maybe they do from from the number of people that we've spoken to that actually say that they think this is deserving of ridicule um <laughs> and they also say things like theism is a mental illness Maybe they they do. I mean, it's horrible. It it seems like <laughs> terrible, terrible bullying to me. But um, yeah, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, just reading from Philip. Uh, <laughs> is, is, is is probably joking. <laughs> he says uh, the best thing you can say is, "I know exactly what you're going through. It's just a phase. Have you tried exercising?" <laughs> No, I do think, right, as part of a routine, answer. as part of a routine, I think exercise can actually 
help someone in a, in in certain regards but i don't think it's the be all and end all if you think simple exercise is going to cure a mental illness man maybe you're mentally ill <laughs> yeah Although saying that, there are three things that, that do really help, especially with like um, uh, anxiety and depression, um, which are, Wanking. well, yeah, that's one. <laughs> four things, sorry, four things. <laughs> um, the, the first one is uh, exercise. It doesn't have to be really like complex and stuff. Second one is diet. And then the third one is sleep because because when you become depressed or anxious or something, you neglect these areas and then you become more fatigued and that increases your anxiety and increases your depression, which then puts you into a more fatigued state, mm-hmm. which then increases it. So you end up in this like cycle. Um, and one really good way of getting out of that is getting a routine where you're eating. Even if you don't feel like you, you want to eat, you kind of just make sure you're planning your meals or like prepping meals all in one go and stuff and just eating regularly, irregular intervals with nutritious meals Doing a little bit of exercise just can be like a walk and making sure that your sleep hygiene is really good. So going to sleep at regular times, waking up at the same times and stuff. Those three will, they won't cure it, but they'll help it a lot. So there isn't, there is some fact in that uh, statement. Although, although just try, have you tried exercising? <laughs> I'm not sure that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Or the people who go, oh yeah, just buy a pair of running shoes and go running every day. Like, really? It's, it's kind of heartless. <laughs> yes, it can help. It can help. Uh, I don't think anyone yeah. is arguing the fact that it can be beneficial. Um, but it's, yeah, as I said, it's not the be-all and end-all of it. Uh, I think we actually um, do benefit from from routine, or at least a lot of us do. Um, so not just the, the, the regular meals and, say, like the regular bedtimes, but regular things that happen during throughout your day or throughout yeah. the week um it's nice to maybe not have a planned weekend but have a planned monday to friday um which obviously if you've got a regular job most people do with that sort of get up go to work and all that sort of thing but there are some people who aren't in that sort of pattern i actually found um when i was working as a, a, a chef or, or in fact any shift work that i've ever done it was a lot harder to keep you know, a, a consistent frame of mind because you'd be this shift here, that shift there, waking up early, waking, going to bed late, and then throwing around all yeah. over the place. And it really does throw you off. That was the same when I worked on the, uh, the ironically, the mental health ward. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I'd have maybe, you know, nine days on and then like four or five days off, and then I'd have two days on and then six days on. And then, like, you know, it was like, and then it was like um, either six till two. So I'd get back and I'd nap, and then I'd nap until six o'clock again. So I'd nap for like four hours because I was so tired, and then wake up and that's my evening done. Yeah. Or it was like uh, it was like uh, one until like nine. So you know I, I'd I'd wake up late obviously, and then just like and it just completely like my whole body clock. Or I'd do a night shift, and they 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 are killer <laughs> night shifts are the worst. <laughs> I do not recommend them to anybody. Um, so yeah. So, and, and like, that was probably my mental health was probably like at the lowest towards the end of like my time at the ward because of that, just that system. Like yeah. it's just awful. So it must've been quite trying being in the wards as well. It, yeah, it was, I think it's something you get used to quite quickly. Uh, you become dead you, to everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? Like, it's just curiosity. But the, like, honestly, the amount of Jesuses I met, 
the you see patterns in behavior and then you start to recognize it it's just like it's when it becomes quite extreme that it's like quite difficult um because you know obviously some so you see people at their worst and then you're expecting them to to not like to not be embarrassed about it and to, once they kind of come around a little bit after taking medication and stuff and you're trying to like be like this is fine oh no my camera <laughs> don't worry it'll come back on there okay i'm back um and yeah so you're just trying to like uh like build a relationship with that person when you know they might have been kind of like uh trying to punch you like the the previous night you know so it's like yeah it's kind of it's a bit weird what was the uh most interesting uh person that you've you've ever met in in those regard the the most interesting case ever oh oh okay um there's been a couple so the first one is somebody i met who had dissociative identity disorder which is like multiple personality disorder yeah um that was really interesting because he had like three or four personalities but they weren't they weren't so dissimilar because because the the way that dissociative identity disorder works is that it's almost like a fractured personality so it's not that there's two it's that they're like so like if you like punched a mirror and you had all these shards Mm -hmm. like that's how it is so you have this whole thing and then you and then it gets fractured in some way and then um you have these like different aspects of the person yeah so, so is it is it like know, sort of uh, bits of certain parts of the personality are, are more enhanced? So this one might be a little bit more aggressive, and this one might be a little bit more emotional in other ways. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And, and normally, so it's a little bit more complex than the mirror example because normally, like a second personality or third personality would um, be a defensive personality. So they'd come in to kind of uh, like kind of fill in the gaps of somebody's like own personality if they need defending in some way so they might mm-hmm. be more assertive or more more aggressive like you say in order to defend that individual in that set of, certain situation so it, it seems like it's a defense mechanism brought out of like really extreme trauma this guy had these personalities and they were quite similar and he, he one of his personalities was very good at acting like the other one <laughs> so <laughs> so so he'd trick us <laughs> he'd trick us into like like he'd be able to just like leave the ward even though he's like detained uh, because he'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go for my leave or whatever, and then we'd give him his leave, and then he'd run off, <laughs> and then we'd have to call the police and stuff. But, yeah, he was yeah, he was very interesting. Uh, I think he's, di- he's dead now. Oh. So, um, But he was one of uh, Fred-, Fred West's children, the serial killer, Fred and Rose West. So, um, yeah, he was he was very interesting. But, he, yeah, very uh, uh, troubled person. Obviously, it's all the stuff that <laughs> he went through when he was a child. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he was very interesting. Um, Do any of the personalities ever have like completely different accents or anything like that, or speak a different language? No, I think his was quite a uh, what a mild version of it. Because sometimes like his his main other personality was quite childish. But he didn't have like a baby voice or anything like that. He just acted like a kid, basically. Because of his messed up childhood, he had a personality that was regaining <laughs> that childhood. Like, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, he was a troubled man. Expert um, diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> you should be a psychiatrist. <laughs> um, who else? There was a oh, there was a guy that was completely 
completely psychotic, um, had schizophrenia, believed that he was Jesus, but also that aliens were coming and that he could communicate with them uh, telepathically uh, to their ship, which was like hovering invisible above the, the hospital. And he would go outside and he'd like start nodding and like close his eyes and he'd be like, I'm talking to them, I'm talking to them. And then he'd point at something that would happen, like there'd be like a, a leaf that would blow past or something, and he'd say, "Look, they did that to show me a sign that they were there." He, yeah, mm. very psychotic man. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, there was a there was a woman who had drug induced psychosis from a Buddhist retreat where they had spiked all of the uh, people who had gone to its food with LSD, and she had a bad reaction to it and had a, a psychotic episode for a month and a half. Oh, um, some of the some of the worst psychosis I've ever seen. She was completely, completely just like not in the world that we're in. Um, and then she came, she came round after like a lot of medication, and um, it's doing really well now. I think I saw her in London a couple of years ago after I moved here, and um, just randomly bumped into her in the central in central London. And she, she, I think she was a bit kind of like in that kind of like. Uh, I remember having a good relationship with you on the ward, but this is a bit embarrassing because you've seen me in a weird place. Like, uh, so we had a brief talk, but I didn't kind of like push it. But she's yeah. she's at uni and stuff, so she's doing really well. Oh, that's good. You yeah. probably remind her about a part of her life that she'd rather forget as well. So it's yeah. probably quite painful seeing you. Even yeah, though and I was just handing out flyers you. like for extra money. <laughs> like, that's by South Bank Centre. I was just handing out flyers. I was like, this is a really weird like meeting. Like, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of interesting people. Yeah, I can imagine. There's actually, um, I don't know if you have experienced anyone like this, but there was a guy who, uh, in one of the places I used to, uh, well, in fact, my first chefing job was I was a pizza chef. Um, and there was a guy that used to come in regularly and he'd had a um, metal plate put in his head. And ever since he's put it in, he he hear voices and... Um, He'd come into the restaurant on his own and he would be there talking away to himself. And he would, you know, he'd actually talk to people about it. And he, he's just saying, you know, he knows that he's not really talking to people, but he can hear them and he, wow. he feels compelled to talk back. And he has, so he spent a lot of time on his own um, because his own company was enough, I guess. And he'd come in and he'd order himself pizza and he'd have this full blown conversation. And then you'd sort of come up and serve him. And it was, yeah, but he was, Completely able to function. Do you know why he had the metal plate put in? I don't know. I think you could get it at a. I don't know. Are you certain that he had a metal plate put in? No, I I have no evidence of that whatsoever. I've only got his word for it. I would say he doesn't have a metal plate in his head and he's just psychotic. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's what. That's what. Because I I don't know how a metal plate would turn someone in, like to to have voices, but I can imagine someone who's schizophrenic. Believing unless, that they haven't, but unless he had a bump to the head, which caused him, uh, and then he maybe, did have maybe the head injury caused it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't actually injury. the metal plate, but <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting, like, yeah, because uh, yeah, the amount of people that have come in and like been like, oh yeah, like I have this chip, I have this, uh, <laughs> this, this like uh, this Wi-Fi signal, you know, I can connect with my television. <laughs> Yeah, lots of that. So. Brilliant. so do you guys know the difference between neurosis and psychosis? They're both no. forms of mental illness. Probably not, no, if I'm honest. Um, you know the words, though, yeah? Yeah. 
Yeah. So what, what what do we mean? If someone's acting neurotic, what do we normally mean? Um, I'm testing I'd... you now. <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> I'd say when someone's uh, being neurotic, they're sort of being um, over the top acting. Um, so they're not necessarily crazy. Um, they're, they're, they're just... Um, Almost like this thing has to be done. Yeah, and, and I need this, and I can't think of the words. They're, they're, they're feeling stressed and anxious and, and all of those sort of things to it. Um, but it's not the same in the way that psychosis would be a bit of a more of a, a mental break in that regard. So what's psychosis? Dave, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought right. it was okay, something let's... like a slight break from reality where you're hyper-focused on thoughts that aren't necessarily replications of the world. That you, They're sort of deformed perceptions of the world. Um, and you're acting kind of yeah. on impulse and that kind of thing. Hey, but like you're, I say, you're, I, I don't, you're very I don't close. know. So, and you're, so the, the, the key difference between neurosis and psychosis is one is a detachment from reality. So psychosis is specifically a detachment from reality. So somebody who's mentally ill and has like a neurotic mental illness would be someone who's depressed or anxious or somebody with quite extreme ADHD or somebody with uh, OCD or any anxiety disorder. Um, those are those are neurotic disorders because they you, you you're kind of aware that there there's something wrong there. You know you, you you're not actually detached from reality. If someone said, "Why are you afraid of mushrooms, Luke?" I'd be like, "Well, that's irrational." Yeah, I just am. <laughs> I'm not detached from reality about it. I don't imagine that they're like, you know, some like, like I haven't been attacked by mushrooms or anything like that, you know, in, in, in the hallucination or whatever. So that's what a neurosis is. And I think this is another key thing where definitions in colloquial usage is problematic because neurotic in colloquial uses tends to mean like, uh, the uh, like, yeah, yeah someone who is a bit kind of like uh, unhinged uh, like yeah all these like celebrities that have had like breakdowns or whatever then acting neurotic because they're like yeah which technically isn't untrue but it depends on like it's, it's more of a specific thing and it could be depression is neurotic yeah mm -hmm. and then psychotic is a detachment from reality so you have hallucinations and delusions and then negative psychotic symptoms which look like depression and anxiety but it's due to a detachment from reality rather than it being uh, like, I feel too kind of like over encumbered by the world to get out of bed. It's more of like a, like I'm so detached from reality. I can't move. So yeah. What if you're suffering with both then? What if you're being both? <laughs> well, you can have psychotic depression. <laughs> yeah. You know, so aspects of it will be detachments from reality. And then you'll also have these aspects that are kind of like due to uh, neurosis. So like, you'll be like, maybe like to, so overcumbered by the world that you uh, can't get out of bed and then you have a psychosis as well, which is like a voice telling you that you're worthless and self, um, a shitty person and stuff like that. And psychosis is one of those things that is massively misunderstood in like how many times have we heard psychotic serial killer or uh, like, oh, that person's psychotic because they're acting aggressive or something like that, you know, it's like, well, one, you mean psychopathic, and two, you get that wrong as well. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, um, 
you know, psychosis is is uh, very misunderstood because it's literally just like somebody having a detachment from what is real. Mm. So when when people talk about, uh, for example, um, drug induced psychosis, yeah, um, that is because it's caused them to have said detachment from reality, potentially um, not be acting in accordance with reality, etc. Which is why they said, you know, the overuse of, of anything can sort of put you in that state. But if if you have a form of drug-induced psychosis, simply not doing the drugs break you out of it over time and with therapy, or do you need other drugs? So that's um, that's a good question. So it's a, so if somebody takes a hallucinogen and they're having a hallucinatory experience from the drug mm. that's not technically psychosis because there's a uh like something inducing it essentially yeah. like uh, there's there's a there's a drug that's causing that to happen and mm. it should wear off right yeah. if it doesn't wear off uh because because of like the brain overcompensates on like dopamine levels or something like that and it continues to like the brain just basically breaks in terms of like how it manufactures neurotransmitters or anything like this then um technically then that's technically psychosis and what usually needs to happen is that you need a big like kind of almost a similar dump of uh uh like antipsychotics in order to to kind of reverse that right. that doesn't always work um so for instance with this uh girl i was talking about who went to the British street was spiked um then had a psychotic episode for a month and a half which you know, is a massively long time for like one dose of LSD, right? Um, she had to have something, what was the name of it? Called Accuphase, right? And Accuphase is a very strong antipsychotic act, doubles up as a sedative, so essentially put, put her to sleep for three days. And then when she woke up, she was less psychotic. She wasn't completely not psychotic, but her very extreme behavior, her very extreme psychotic uh, delusions, and like she wasn't able to talk, she wasn't able to communicate at all because she, just wasn't like uh her her yeah her reactions to things were very kind of like sporadic i have no idea what was going on in her head uh she doesn't remember much of it um and yeah so it kind of like broke down that that kind of cycle and then she i think naturally her brain kind of she had more antipsychotics but they were like lower dosages and it, it, it kind of like eventually kind of like um seeped out but she will always now she's aware that drugs do that to her she should always avoid drugs because that just happens to some people mm. and it can happen with any drug it can happen with prescription drugs it can happen with weed it can happen with alcohol it can happen with anything it's not just hallucinogens mm. so did that answer your question i don't even know if that answers your question <laughs> no no it did, it did. Thank <laughs> you. i can't remember what the question was <laughs> <laughs> yeah no definitely uh question has come in from the chat and Frida says uh why do UK doctors insist on treating acute anxiety and stress with antidepressants on the off chance that acute anxiety is caused by uh, non-existent depression instead of using benzos? Ooh, okay, that's a good question. Um, I'm just reading it, and I can see that in the second part of the, the comment... You want me to read that? They've addressed... They've, they've addressed yeah, please. So, apart from six million housewives addicted to Valium... What the fuck does my 96-year-old grandmother care if she is addicted to Valium, as long as the anxiety and night terrors stop? I mean, I think 
I think addiction is a is a very serious issue, and benzodiazepines are um, like not very pleasant drugs to be on. Uh, well, they're pleasant for the individual, and that's the reason people get addicted. But they're also quite highly addictive, and they have side effects and stuff. I think antidepressants um, tend to be uh, double up as anti-anxiety medication as well. Like so SSRIs it's not just a... and stuff, wouldn't they? General. Sorry. You'd use SSRIs as as the uh, yeah. So yeah. so so serotonin selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which essentially stop the brain from taking serotonin back in to reuse it and just allow it to sit there, right? So um, a lot of anxiety is caused by um, an imbalance of serotonin, which also causes depression um, because if you have uh, too little serotonin then your fight-flight-freeze response is more uh, trigger-happy, essentially. Mm-hmm. So um, what what happens is that if you have more serotonin, then you're in a more pleasant kind of like space and you're less likely to respond to something in an anxious way. Um, that's the idea. Um, but, you know, and, and whereas like something like Valium, a benzodiazepine is more just like sedative. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just calms you down. Yeah, so... It's about, you know, what what is it that is causing the issue? Because it's not always the serotonin that causes anxiety. Um, and that should really be the role of the psychiatrist is to figure out what is the actual cause of it. Is it behavioral or is it, uh, psych- is it like um, physiological? And then what's the best way of uh, addressing it? Because I would argue that actually anxiety is best treated by uh, ther- like um, therapy with a, like a psychologist. Um, because it's usually a behavioral thing that's caused anxiety, some sort of trauma or some sort of um, like bad experience in the past that then causes you to have that uh, anxiety response to certain stimulus. So in, in, the, in, in regards to if the SSRIs are not working, um, you'd think that they should take uh, off them in this instance. Um, I mean, I know, I know this is obviously not actual medical advice, but disclaimer, disclaimer. Uh, this is just uh, dealing with a real hypothetical. <laughs> mm. um, you'd need a lot more information about the patient to actually say anything. But in the instance of SSRIs not working for the anxiety disorder, um, would you say um, a, a sedative would be a stopgap until therapy could be had or should you just I, yeah, stop it altogether? but that's what it should be I, I i the way i look at medication anyway is that medication is uh, a band-aid right what's so so if we go back to the medical model of of uh, mental illness the the medication aspect it, like it's not like uh, a, a headache or something where you can take a paracetamol and then your headache's gone and then you can just get on with your day right it it's it's more like a broken leg yeah. So if you have enough trauma or enough issues uh, that cause a mental illness, it's not like to the point where you you're kind of like actually going to doctors and getting it checked out and not just like an everyday kind of like, oh, I'm feeling a bit rough today. Um, then, you know, there's some there's something there that needs to be treated. And medication is one way of doing that. But, you know, are you going to treat a med- are you going to treat a broken leg with uh, codamol? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, are you going to treat a broken leg with morphine? No, you need to put like some effort into like rehabilitation, like some sort of like physiotherapy, and that's what that's what psychotherapy does. Like I think it's it's that psychological therapies are there for 
it's actually help with the trauma whilst the medication is there more like a more like the morphine which will help you kind of deal with the symptoms along that route that's how i see it anyway but the problem is that the uh, psychological therapies are very expensive the government don't like expensive things and so they kind of like cheap out on it all and they just go well you know what antidepressants seem to do the job and then they you know give a bunch of people antidepressants they're on them for six months they come off of them they feel a bit better the actual issue hasn't been addressed and then they feel depressed again in six months time yeah so same with anxiety exactly the same thing with anxiety there's not enough effort to get to the root cause of what's causing that anxiety because people don't just act anxious for no reason they don't feel anxious for no reason no one wants to be in that state exactly uh, especially <laughs> if you're, you're talking about a generalized anxiety disorder or you know, depression or um you don't <laughs> you don't want to be in that state it's, no one wants to feel bad anyway but especially feeling it to extremes and so consistently and it making your 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 day-to-day life hard to live um no one wants to be afraid to answer the front door or, you know, uh, yeah. any of these things go on. Um, well, and this is, this is the thing with the UK, especially, you know, it's a reactionary system. We react to crisis. We don't do any preventative care. There's like basically no preventative care within the NHS, which is problematic because, you know, if you're there allowing it, it would be cheaper. It'd be much cheaper to start to do some like, you know, uh, some things around uh, understanding when you're feeling bad, some cope, some basic coping strategies, um, and getting to the point where you know people could uh, maybe go into like walking clinics rather than going into having to be detained under the Mental Health Act, which costs so much for one bed for one day, like thousands, mm. right? It's like you know what? <laughs> it's it's they want to save money, but they know that it's going to be like you have to invest into the system first get these services set up and then that looks like you're spending lots of money and you're not making it back. But then after a while you'll, yeah. you'll make, you, you, you won't, you won't even need the hospitals as, or as many of them. So I suppose in, in, uh, in that regard, it, it's the cost over a long period of time, isn't it? I, I often see um, in companies that I've worked for, like completely out of sight of this, there was a, there was a big cost to make a process more efficient so therefore the overall cost would be much less on the day-to-day and it would take a year year and a half to recoup the entire losses and then from there it was plain sailing profit you know they'd have saved Mm -hmm. masses and masses and and that's sort of the 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 way you could say that this is going you know instead of just loading people up with ssris because actually it's the cheapest option on the month-to-month ticket uh, over time, over the year, and the fact that people end up having to go back on them and on and off and on and off, rather than actually spending the time trying to find the root cause, finding the therapies that works for them. And it will be different for other people, and there'll be lots of different things to try. And also the person has to want to do the therapy. And I think that's one thing that I think uh, people often um, forget. Like, as much as someone might be suffering with uh neuroses or psychosis or or anything like that they 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 still might be afraid to go through the therapy and talk about the, right. the things and actually be completely honest and that in itself you know you, you have to open yourself up and make yourself really vulnerable and people don't like yeah. this either 
and, <laughs> <laughs> and, nope. and, and that in itself can prevent you from getting better from the therapy. And you're left in a situation where, well, the medication doesn't work and the therapy doesn't work. Well, I best get some trainers and go out for a run. Right. <laughs> and this is the thing. Well, this is the thing about. <laughs> sorry, it just just clocks. This is the thing about the 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 um the destigmatization of mental illness because whilst people are denying the fact that they have mental illness, uh, then they're not going to be trying to access therapy. And the physiotherapy thing is an intentional analogy because physiotherapy requires the individual to do work for the therapy. You don't just go to a physiotherapist. They don't just like do something for you and then you leave, right? You mm -hmm. have to do exercises at home, right? And you have to practice things and you have to try stuff out. And that's exactly the same thing for mental illness. You have to do these things. You have to put the work in in order to see the benefits because if you're just going to your therapist and then just in that like hour period, half an hour period sometimes, you're just kind of like doing it there, you know, how long's the rest of the week or the fortnight, you know? And you're just gonna get sucked back into that kind of like whatever feelings you were in. You're not you're not practicing at home. You're not going through the exercises. And they will always give you homework. Every mm. single therapist will give you homework, you know, to, to practice over the week or fortnight, you know. And it's you know, yeah. it's 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 tough. It's hard work, you know, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people expect to be um, to go to a therapist and I've had this myself when I was an assistant psychologist, you know, I've had people come to me and be like, shouldn't you just be fixing this? Like, it's like, I can't do anything. <laughs> I can provide you with tools and then you have to do, you have to implement tools, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just how it is, unfortunately. And that's why a lot of people prefer the medication route as well, because it's an easy fix. I suppose yeah, you could even just... say the same thing about, um, uh... I know we're talking about mental fitness, but physical fitness as well. Some people go to the gym and after a session or two go, well, I'm no different. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to buy diet pills instead. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's not actually dealing with the actual problem in the same way that, you know, the medication might not be dealing with the problem uh, that's, that's underneath. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully that that answers your question. I'm gonna try and oh, yeah, read, read the chat. <laughs> my oh, my memory is pretty off today. <laughs> I'm just saying words and forgetting this question is fine. Hey, Azar, nice to see you here. Um, but yes, yes, you want an easy fix. Yes, everybody wants an easy fix. Oh God, uh, I mean, I've I've the, the last year and a half or so, I've I've not been working out anywhere near as hard, and I'd I'd love it if someone could work out for me. Um, and I didn't have to put the effort in. I've got to put even more effort in to get back to where I was before I can continue some progress. And sometimes that can feel daunting. And this is just talking about physical fitness and, and mental health is, is far more complicated um, because it's, it's far more different. <laughs> Every, you know, everybody's mental state can be so different, whereas mm. bodies are, are generally pretty similar. There, there, there are differences there as well, of course. But they're uh, a lot more similar than than uh, you know different mental illnesses and different mental states and things like that. Um, so just trying to catch up with the chat. Uh, so Philip says Benzo's helped him to get out of a worse period, but he only took them to, to two weeks to avoid addiction. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to do that. Um, I, I think. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Benzo's. They are useful. They have their uses. They their their efficacy, like how effective they are, 
reduces very quickly and you need mm. to take double the dose in order to get have the same effect eventually and then they do become addictive and i've seen so many people addicted to benzos like 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 as addicted to benzos as um people are to heroin for instance right to, like committing crime in order to get benzos like there was one person who came in who was she she literally came in she got admitted because she knew how to get admitted stayed for a few nights she was she was oh my camera's going again um, she was homeless, um, so she she had like bed and food for a bit. But then she also made sure, like she 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 played the psychiatrist to get benzos, got discharged with her prescription, and then didn't take them because she didn't need them and sold them to <laughs> to people in her in her local area who were addicted. Thank you. So yeah, so like people are like it is like as much of an issue as like illegal drugs you know um so and i think people that don't necessarily work in that kind of system don't necessarily see that um so it is a problem but, mm. yeah. they actually uh occasionally um prescribe me uh diazepam uh for my back when it's got a, a really bad spasm mm. yeah everybody says oh it feels nice i don't really feel anything from it I sort of feel a little bit tired oh we've lost dave what dave no what did i say <laughs> what did i say dave come back uh but um oh he's back he's there coming is. back <laughs> um yeah sorry move me to the afk group <laughs> oh really because <laughs> oh is it because you're not talking enough or something i guessed oh uh, i'm sorry dave <laughs> <laughs> Talk more, Dave. Come on. <laughs> just interested in the conversation, so I'm just listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to change the settings. I think it's set to 15 minutes of inactivity. <laughs> um, yeah. Never really found anything that works for insomnia, though, except for moving house. <laughs> so there's, there's, so I had insomnia for a little bit, and I'm not not medical advice here i'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor or anything but there's a there's a um a over-the-counter medication it's an antihistamine called promethazine it's also called phenogen and that knocks me out for a few nights and you that you, you can go to the counter and you can say i need it for some like to be able to sleep yeah. um and they you know they obviously go through the list of like who's it for like and then tell you that actually, you know, you shouldn't be using it for long periods of time. It loses its effectiveness very quickly as well, like uh, like uh, benzos do. But <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. So, but it is, um, it did work, you know. But it's just what that you it don't have like the a body? What is it about the body that, well, you know, where we adjust to things so quickly that it, it does stop them working? And is there anything that we don't adjust to in that regard? I think that well, there's like people that have like like made poisons like they've done micro dosing of poisons and then up the dose to the point where it's like that would be a lethal dose for anybody else but they've you know managed mm. it to, to stop it and i think i think your body does get used to the the things you're putting into it um in order to make sure that you're you're on the even kiln kind of thing but that does mean that we have to up medication in order to like balance that out um, and that's not just with mental health medication, but that's like with any medication, you know, after a while, they might be like, well, you need to start taking two paracetamol instead of one because, you know, your body's gotten used to it and stuff. And obviously mm. people that drink a lot, you know, like alcoholics are people that have a lot of uh, 
drink. You know, they don't tend to appear drunk. You know, yeah. because they're even though they've done like they might have had like fifteen cans or something, and you're like, how have you had fifteen cans and you're still standing up? Like, you know, whereas I'd be on the floor like, <laughs> like <laughs> vomiting or something. You know, it's just because they've built up tolerance to it. But that's where like you know uh, withdrawal comes in. Like if you if you stop that substance very quickly, especially alcohol is the most dangerous one. It's more dangerous to come off of alcohol than it is to come off of heroin. You know, then you're you're going to put your body into a uh, rough state for a long time. So it's yeah. crazy, isn't that, it? The, the fact yeah, that it's that completely legal. Um, and... yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly, and it's really dangerous. to go cold turkey on alcohol is like so dangerous. Whereas like heroin, I've seen people. It's not been pleasant to observe, but I've seen people go cold turkey on heroin. They've been fine. They just get shakes and they sweat, and that's it, really. You know, and they feel sick, but. But somebody with alcohol, their whole body will just shut down. Crazy. That's really crazy. I didn't realise it was actually quite that bad with uh, alcohol. I knew it was. There have been people that said, oh, it, it's as bad as, as heroin. Um, but from what you're saying, it's actually it's dangerous. worse. Yeah. yeah, it's worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are people um, who, who it's actually killed, aren't there? Um, I I don't know if it's true. I never looked into it. But like, wasn't it? Amy Winehouse, she went cold turkey. Uh. So, so what happened with Amy Winehouse is that she she managed to get off of she was taking heroin. Mm-hmm. She managed to get off of it, and then she started back up. But she went back to the dose that she was taking when she'd got off of it. So her her body had uh, kind of unadjusted to it, and then she took a the higher dose. So right. initially she would have been taking like a smaller dose, and then she took this bigger dose that, yeah. that killed her. So yeah. And that's another common issue in in after people go through rehab is they go back to the dose that they were at when they stopped taking it rather than the dose that they took when they first took it Um, because they think that oh my body would be still be used to this but like (laughs) even with for me for drinking like after the lockdown I didn't drink for ages properly and now my tolerance for alcohol is really low (laughs) like embarrassingly low (laughs) so yeah yeah suppose that's what um, pregnant women have to deal with all the time. You know, they <laughs> they have nine months at least, <laughs> if not more, um, without without a drink, <laughs> and and then they go back on. <laughs> My mum drank when she was pregnant with me, and it did me no harm. <laughs> honest. <laughs> that actually explains a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it does. <laughs> So, uh, are there any more questions out there in the in the chat? I'm just trying to quickly skim through um, the everything. Uh, so, and Sreda says they wouldn't need to commit a crime if they could get a prescription. I mean, you're going into a negative cycle there, really, aren't you? Um, just go, yeah, I'll give you a prescription so you don't commit a crime. I mean, maybe again, it's more on the preventative side that needs to be done. They need to be weaned off, yeah, thing, and maybe go through rehab, and therefore they wouldn't be addicted anymore. Uh, I mean, what's your thoughts well, on that? So they're controlled drugs because they're addictive, right? Yeah. So, I yeah, I'm not, I, I don't think we should be giving people medication for any kind of uh, illness um, just because they ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's an asthma inhaler or anything, you know, there needs to be, the, there needs to be a good reason for it. And I think that behavioral reasons aren't necessarily like addiction isn't necessarily the the right reasons, and I agree with you. They should be signposted to the relevant. Like, like I don't think it should be if they commit a crime, 
in order to get money, in order to get drugs, they should be put through a rehab program mm. through court. It shouldn't be just be like, oh, well, you did this bad crime, like, um, go to jail. Like, they need to be, the, the, the context of their situation needs to be taken into account. Yeah, I, I don't think, um, I think there's too much emphasis on uh, punishment with the, the, the entire prison mm. system. Um, Absolutely. Try and help people get better for whatever is causing them. I mean, again, it's going back into the preventative nature to to stop people getting back into these uh, negative well, behaviors yeah. again. And this is the thing with prison, especially, is you take someone who's just committed a crime, you put them into an isolated uh, scenario for however many years that they're in that scenario for, and then when you put them back, they're either in the same situation that you you took them from, or they're or in a worse situation. <laughs> yeah, because they can't get a job now. So what are they going to do? Commit another crime? Like, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. And uh, <laughs> a lot of criminals call them universities. <laughs> well, yeah, especially the young offenders institutes. Yeah, yeah. You, it's where you, you want to you want to learn how to. And... <laughs> Yeah. As a kid, if you if you if you do something wrong, like break a bus shell or whatever, you go to a young offenders institute. You'll come out knowing how to pick locks, how to scam people, hot wire how cars, to, how to hot wire car. Yeah, everything. Yeah. So you can really learn something. Mm-hmm. But as yeah, you say, the education you know... is top notch. <laughs> as you say, and you, know, you don't they're... have student loans. <laughs> Sounds like we're we're doing an advertisement for prison right now. <laughs> I'll just um, get my coat. <laughs> All I'm saying is that there are worse places to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose that's another place where mental health probably doesn't get dealt with as well within within the prison system. I mean, yeah, some, I suppose. A lot of people wouldn't even be getting the right medication or the right care uh, in there either, and they're going to be in situations where there's a lot more negative influence as well. Yeah, I think it's about 50% of the general prison population in the UK have a diagnosed mental illness. Blimey. Like it's, a, it's a massive percentage, and, and about 50% have uh, less than average intelligence as well. And is that the same fifty percent of both, or is it mix and match? Mix and match. Right. Yeah, because the only criminals that go to prison are the ones that get caught, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's loads of criminals, like you know, people that are uh, politicians and bankers and all this stuff, and <laughs> you know, they cover their tracks really well because they they have a little bit more brains. Yeah, they understand things a little bit more. They understand the systems and how to. Get away with that, basically. When they finally uh, are about to get found out, they get out of the country too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So is there anything else that you, you want to tell us tonight? So there's one thing that I want to talk about. Um, well, there's a couple more things that I want to talk about, actually. So the first thing is, uh, patho- like, a little bit talking a bit more about that pathologizing everyday behavior. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure we all know someone who who says like oh, i'm feeling a bit depressed today or you know um like oh i feel anxious about this thing and they, they might be accurate statements but what they're what they think they're saying is that i have anxiety right or i have depression yeah right and it, it it's 
it's normal. It's normal to feel this way. It's normal to have bad days. It's normal to have good days. It's normal to, to um, you know, feel upset if someone rejects you or stuff like this. You know, these are all normal things. And for me, if we start to, as a society, in an effort to destigmatize mental illness, start to go look at all these things that aren't uh, that show how mentally ill we are when actually they're normal behavior, we're going to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of people, you know, like people who have quite acute schizophrenia, people that have acute depression, you know, some of the people that I've seen and interacted with um, are in such like difficult situations and like, like lit- literally like catatonic states, you know, completely detached from reality, cannot leave their bed, uh, cannot leave their home because they're so anxious and stuff. And, you know, that's a kind of, mental illness that I think we should be aiming to destigmatize, not, not people feeling a bit rough on a, one day, you know, <laughs> you know, and you know, there are people who have like a, somewhere in the middle, right. Who do have anxiety or do have depression. Yeah. And those people shouldn't be ignored either, but it's just this everyday stuff. You know, when I see people who are like, um, like this thing happened to me and then, you know, I didn't want to go out, see my mates for a few weeks because uh you know like um i don't know i don't know like oh i failed my driving test or something you know i just wanted to spend some time alone that's normal <laughs> it's normal to have days where you just want to spend some time alone but if somebody is like i am so afraid of what the consequences would be if i stepped outside of my house or if i stepped onto that train or did this or did that but i can't go see my mates and this is a regular occurrence you know this happens regularly then they've got anxiety, you know, that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And, and they can't be equated. Those two situations can't be equated and they are. Yeah. Too readily. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I suppose it's, it just, it's the same thing that we, we often talk about just to do a parody about muddy language. You know, it, it is muddy language in, in itself. People are using things, but when we're talking about how really concise terms with very specific meanings should be used, but actually, well, this term sort of means this one, which sort of means that one. So I can use this term for that. It's again, you're you're ending up in a in a bit of a, a messy state. So you've got people because they're feeling a bit down, thinking they've got depression. Yeah, because a term for it could be they're feeling a bit depressed, but feeling a bit depressed is not the same as suffering with depression. And if they were using clearer terms like, oh well, I'm feeling a bit down. I don't really want to do anything yeah (laughs) exactly yeah and one uh, that i've seen very very frequently at the moment is autism oh my god the amount of people that want to have autism at the moment is shocking like like, it's it's some there's people that i'm like why like they're very they're like so for for those who don't necessarily understand autism within autism there's a there's a a thing called a triad of impairments, right? So it's to do with communication, it's to do with uh, recognizing emotions, and it's to do with, oh, what's that other one? Uh, can't remember, but there's like these three things. Look it up, the triad of impairments. These three things that uh, the people with autism struggle with, right? And that's what they look for when they're doing an assessment, yeah? Um, so there's a thing called theory of mind, which is the, the awareness that other people have minds, yeah? Um and people with autism struggle with that. 
so they might say they might think that you feel the same way that they do about a certain thing because they 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 kind of don't understand that you have a different mind to them yeah. um and there are so many people at the moment who are saying like oh yeah i sometimes struggle to read someone else's body language therefore i must have beyond the autistic spectrum <laughs> or sometimes i don't understand people's jokes what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've seen so many people do that, and it really, really frustrates me because you know, I work with people who have autism, like, and it's it's more than just not understanding people's jokes. Sometimes it's it's it severely affects their social interactions. Yeah, mm. and the spectrum, like they people say, like the spectrum's so wide that everyone's on the spectrum. Well, then it's a pointless <laughs> it's a pointless thing. If everyone's on the spectrum, it's pointless right <laughs> because it means nothing to say someone's autistic but if it's a spectrum for a select group of people like and then there's a cutoff point where you're no longer on the spectrum yeah. it m- makes sense to have that as a category right it's the same mm-hmm. thing as saying babies are atheists right it's exactly the same thing <laughs> it's the same thing as saying rocks are atheists because there's so that category is so big that it's, it becomes a name yeah, yeah? If everything non-theist <laughs> is an atheist then it becomes meaningless yes yes <laughs> So it's just, it, oh, it frustrates me so much. So, so not everyone is on the spectrum. Okay, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> right, I'm gonna settle down now. <laughs> I'm zen. So, I'm zen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how wide actually is the spectrum? Well, I mean, that's 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 a very. Um, difficult question to answer i think i think for me if we're talking about autistic spectrum disorder right mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a question around whether we should be calling it a disorder but for me i think we should because i think that the idea of a disorder to me is that it causes disorder in someone's life because they they struggle to live in the same way that somebody who we call neurotypical would right because they they don't necessarily have the ability to understand uh why Nando's is different to every other restaurant, you know? Like, why, why, why do I go order at the counter in Nando's, but then everyone else has a wait, like table waiting? That doesn't make sense, right? Um, or they might not understand that uh, sometimes when somebody's being a f- bit flirty, no means yes, yeah, because that mm. does happen, you know, in a flirtation. But you can tell from body language that they might verbalize no, but they're being like no, like as a playful thing, right, rather than a. a like an outright no, yeah? And they might not be able to tell the difference, yeah? So there's actual disorder, the things that cause disorder in someone's life, right? And it becomes a disorder. Same thing with personality disorder, you know? And I think that that's the point at which we should be starting the autistic spectrum, and then it gets more severe, mm-hmm. right? And then and the, the, like people become uh, uh, completely kind of like, they don't communicate verbally, um, they might not understand... Uh, kind of anything to do with like social rules at all. Um, they might become quite insular and start to uh, experience that hypersensitivity or hyposensitivity to to stimulus. So, you know, that's where it starts for me is when it starts affecting someone directly, and then and then you move down the more severe severe range, and then you get into a point where there's mixed with a learning disability as well. Mm. <sighs> Would would a, a disorder be regarded as a a mental illness in that way? Technically, yes. I'm. I feel like there's certain 
disorders that we need to think about in a different way. So like personality disorders, I think personality disorders and autism, we need to think about differently from mental illness because they're quite entrenched. Like you're not going to be able to really medicate somebody who's autistic, right? That's just how they think about the world. Right. So what you need to be able to do is help them either understand how the world works, uh, and how people think. So, so give them a, a social rule book, essentially, that they can kind of learn independently because they haven't learned it naturally. So they might be like, oh, okay, if if uh, Joe nods his head, then he's agreeing with me, right? Because they not, might not understand that, that. That's quite an abstract concept to them, right? Um, or you can, you can teach the people around them. They might not understand what you're doing, so you need to be quite concrete with your words and stuff, right? So that's how you handle somebody with autism. Um, and help them to kind of function, but you can't give them medication for that. You're not going to be able to give them medication to say, oh, this is how society works, right? So, um, and then personality disorders, you can medicate with like mood stabilizers and stuff, depending on the personality disorder. But again, it's like, it's an entrenched thing. So you give them coping strategies to help them cope with their like emotions or their, uh, their nasty, you know, if they're narcissistic, maybe, you know, you help them, have a bit more of a realistic expectation about themselves and about other people. Um, so that's how you, so it's about kind of guiding people through that rather than thinking of it as a mental illness in my head, whereas psychosis clearly is like, that's a complete detachment from reality. So you need to, to treat that. That needs to be treated. Rather yeah, that makes than sense. Autism. I don't think it needs to be treated. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So even though they are technically, uh, a, a mental illness, uh, a a disorder should be treated in a completely different ballpark. Yeah, and I think that's where like uh, autism, like kind of uh, like the approach towards autism is going. It's going a less away from like it's going, it's moving away from the medical nursing model that we see for other mental illnesses, which is a good thing. Um, but personality disorder, people just don't know what to do with. <laughs> people have no idea like that like so i read a book by this guy called cleckley um who was around in like the 50s basically 40s and 50s and uh when i was reading it there's like a bunch of cases it's called um mask of sanity i might have mentioned it in the psychopath uh one that we did um and he has a bunch of case studies and i was reading them and i was like and i was reading this whilst i was working on the ward and i was like nothing's changed <laughs> <laughs> these people are still this is exactly the system that they go through nothing has changed for people with personality disorders since the 1940s the same same issues and the, and the the systems have not improved at all in order to try and help them because it, they're so complex and their their needs are so high <laughs> that it's just it's almost too much yeah you have to invest a lot of resources and i don't think a lot of governments or councils or anything are willing to Rather just let them suffer, yeah. basically. <laughs> can can personality disorders change? Um, so, like, can people actually genuinely get over at least some of the personality disorders? So you can provide them with tools to cope with stuff. So, like, if we take emotionally unstable personality disorder, for instance, so it's usually about um, attachment. So somebody feels like they're getting rejected. So what they'll do is they push boundaries to to try and force a rejection, so that uh, they're the ones that kind of were in control of that situation, rather than waiting to get rejected again, right? And this is, comes out of a lot of like kind of unstable uh, 
relationships in somebody's childhood um, and a lot of loss usually. And um, what that causes is is like a, a, a like a quick fire reaction to 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 like really low level negative stimulus for the like the fight flight freeze response. So they're suddenly always in fight mode or they're in flight mode or they're or they're just stuck, right? Because they're always trying to like push boundaries and they're they're trying to and they react to this stimulus because they're they're worried that's going to be the next rejection mm. that they're going to get. Yeah, so they have a very low bar for this stimulus, which is why they're so emotionally unstable. Because when they get into that state of mind, their emotions are taking over their rational thought processes. Yeah. Um, so what you can do is you can try and give people like a bit of a, like a circuit breaker or something to to kind of like ground them. So like you might say like, okay, if you feel this way, if you get into that point where your 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 body's beginning to like you're starting to get into that anxious phase or like that heightened phase. Uh, put your face into cold water um, and it kind of breaks that kind of like it brings you back into your rational thought processes, grounds you, or you can give them like um, like positive affirmations or stuff like this, you know? So there's ways of helping people cope with them, but there's no way of necessarily changing their personality without like long extended uh, psychological therapy, which, you know, even then it's not guaranteed to work. Like the guys from the fifties, like, Cleckley and Freud, well, Freud from even further before, they did a lot of work with people like that, and even they were like struggling to to get through, like, and change anything. So, yeah, so basically, what you can do is help them cope. Yeah, that's uh, that's difficult, isn't it? <laughs> and how many people out there do you think have personality disorder, including undiagnosed ones? Fuck ton. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at the moment, right? You know, like what's happening at the moment, uh, it's like but and I think social media is a big thing to do with this, right? I see I'm seeing a lot of young people I feel like an old man saying this. But I see a lot of young people who who are like um who are feeling more rejected and feeling like their relationships are more unstable, um and are developing personality like basically emergent personality symptoms because of social media, because they're not getting the likes they want. So they see that as a rejection. Their their relationships online are quite fleeting. They might have like quite, uh, they're talking to their friends all the time, right? Which is, you know, like going to cause ruptures and splits because, you know, if you talk to your friends all the time, they're going to piss you off, right? <laughs> so, so you know, there's all this stuff going on at the moment that that's, that's um, you, you can have more bitching, bitchiness, that comes out because it's all recorded and stuff, you know, like, so I'm seeing it a lot more in the, like, you know, 18 to 20 kind of age group at the moment. This like emotionally unstable personality because, and that's why I think it is because of this extra access to the rejection. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and dating apps are causing it as well. You know, is that what you think the most common issue is at the moment in general? Personality disorder. Yeah, I would say depression and anxiety are still top of the list. Right. You think um, that uh, lockdowns and everything like that have actually been making it worse? I, what the studies show at the moment is that um, I do think that on an individual, like most people's mental health has probably had a decline in the past year. But there's not been any significant increase in suicides. Right. So 
I don't think, I think that people that would have committed suicide would have committed suicide anyway. Right. I think the people that did commit suicide would have committed suicide anyway. Yeah. Because it, I don't think, sorry. I was just going to say, in, in, in like some of the people who uh, were so old and got the vaccination and then died, they genuinely died around the time that they thought they were going to die as well. So, so it's you're saying the same sort of thing with the suicides that wasn't necessarily... There were other issues. Yeah. 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 Um, and like, let's be fair, right? If somebody was on the brink of feeling like they were going to commit suicide, do you think they would have stuck to... Like, sorry. If somebody who wasn't like kind of already in that space prior to lockdown and didn't feel isolated and stuff, uh, felt isolated because of the lockdown and then was like having those thoughts and then... Uh, do you think that they'd stick to the lockdown rules? Uh, no, no. So that's the reason I think that that's the reason I think there's not been an increase because those individuals that got to that point where they're like, you know what, I cannot bear this anymore, broke the rules, right? Mm. And they went and saw their family because they were like, you know, I just can't cope anymore, you know. And and the people that were already in that space and kind of like, you know, that suicide's not simple. It's not just like people being isolated on their own. It's uh, it's uh low self-esteem it's money issues it's uh it's relationship issues like that to get to that point it takes a lot and i think that you know those people would have had issues from the previous year definitely you know there's no way that that some people maybe it would have happened but yeah absolutely you know it's it's more complex than just being like oh people are home alone for a year no do you think um it's uh the whole lockdown thing has actually highlighted to some people that they they actually feel better in within a lockdown environment, seeing people less, um, being able to work from home, and and actually they benefit from from this. Whereas people who like to be out there and all hustle and bustle and around loads of people, they're suddenly yeah. starting to feel maybe what other people actually felt like when they're forced to be in their situations, which was the way the world was working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that's a good point. I think that is a very, it's a very personal thing, isn't it? Like I think if I was alone, if I didn't live with my partner, then I would have had maybe a bit more problem with it. But you know, I, I was staying with her, so it was fine. Like, you know, we, we did <laughs> some, like we did puzzles <laughs> and stuff. Like, you know, we did, I played lots of video games. Like, if if anything, I spoke to my friends way more than I had ever spoken to them. Like, like I was playing like Warzone with them like daily at one point, and I hadn't spoken to them daily since school. Like, you know, so so f- for me, it actually made me reconnect with my friends a little bit more. Um, whereas before, it was like kind of like oh, I might see them once a month or something, you know. So so I think it had technology. I, th- I think if it had happened in a different time period. Would have been a lot more tough, but we have the technology mm. to be able to to manage it, you know. <clears throat> and I think that maybe I wouldn't have even, you know, come onto YouTube or whatever had that happened. Like, there's lots of things I think people have started to do as a result of lockdown that they they wanted to do before, but didn't have the time or space because they were always going out socializing. I know loads of people that have stopped binge drinking regularly and are actually like wow, you, there's other things other than drinking alcohol on the weekends. I can go for a walk in the park. I can read books. Like, you know, there's loads of people that have had that experience as well, which is great, you know, because they were literally just spending all their money on alcohol every Friday or Saturday night. 
no, and drugs, <laughs> you know, and they haven't done drugs in over a year. You know, it's great. So, yeah, it's had positive and, and negative effects, you know, but yeah. I think that... And everybody's uh, experience will be different. I mean, there, there will be some yeah. people out there who really, really did struggle with, with lockdown for, for various reasons. And I think that it, this isn't to diminish their experience uh, in, in the slightest. It was more to raise the point that actually we are all different. And for some people, uh, you know, the, it actually made their life a little bit easier, a little bit better uh, in certain ways. It might have also had some negatives in other ways. And, and, you know, life is about balance. But I think there are, because of the way the world tends to work, it tends to work for the people who like to be out there and doesn't really tend to, yeah. to, to work for the people that are a bit more reserved. And I, I think that that is one of the things that's actually quite troubling. It's quite illuminating, you know, all the people that who have uh, majorly, majorly been struggling um, with the lockdowns, at least that I'm aware of, have been those that would have been described as extroverts. You know, suddenly yeah. they're, they're in a situation where, you know, they can't be there and they can't be loud and proud and being out there and being the centre of attention and, they only have themselves or themselves and their <laughs> partner. And and usually uh, those people have the lowest self-esteem, right? They need to get their self-esteem from others, yeah. right? So when they're put into a situation where they're just on their own, it's it becomes problematic for them because they're, they're no longer kind of, they're like, well, I'm not getting validation right now, right? So it's, extroversion is one of those really interesting things because the most extroverted people tend to be the ones that are the most have the most unstable sense of self. Hmm. Because they need to just, they need to seek validation. They need to get people. They they want. They need to say jokes. They need to impress people in order to get their sense of self, you know, validated, right? Yeah. So, which is interesting. And I'm imagining being cut off from that <laughs> would be stressful, right? Yeah. The thing I'm most interested in is seeing how the children who are like four or five years old during this lockdown uh, will cope in, you know, when they're like teenagers and stuff, because they're social skills are very important like around the four or five age group mm. and like mingling with other children is quite important so um like i haven't i have a nephew who's like two almost three i don't think it's necessarily going to affect him too much but it might do so i think there's going to be a lot of work for psychologists coming up in the next like 10 years to see how this lockdown has affected you know those those children uh, hopefully it won't too much. Um, I do worry about the school systems as well, though. The education, so much of it has, you know, because things aren't set up properly and weren't set up properly and things have been done too slow, um, different bits of home education have been done differently when the schools finally did get them doing um, work. It was very inconsistent and it was, you know, kids obviously didn't feel in the same way that, you know, they have to focus and there are kids who haven't done exams. I feel like, you know, everything with the, the education wise, people are going to be further behind, but you can't necessarily say, well, no, you need to do an extra year of school because COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there, there are kids that are either not going to be able to go to things like university or their sick forms because they're, well, I suppose they're required to go to sick. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, won't necessarily be able to get into 
um, at university because they've missed a big chunk of their their education and their option is they will have to do an additional year to make up or yeah. they'll have to get a job and then we're going to have a, a generation where there are less educated people out there um, and I don't even know how that would necessarily affect the, the university system as well um, do they have to do longer courses with the whole? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's so many little factors and things jumping around in my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess I think that it's. Sorry, I'm just trying to organize my thoughts. Yeah, I do I... think I see your point. I'm not sure if it's going to be as problematic as um, as some people are making out, and and the reason I think that is because. Uh, if we think about like the the school system prior to university, right, it's entirely designed to help people pass exams. Information is secondary, so so you're not you're almost not teaching kids how to like the the information that they need anyway. You're teaching them this is what you need to know to pass the exams. Same with GCSEs, same with A levels, right? Yeah. It's when you get to university that you kind of have to employ more critical thinking skills, right? So you actually have to understand it. Yeah, you have to understand and and critique the information that you're getting. And I think that it might be that that's where the, we see the problem. It's like those early university things because people – but it's a different skill set anyway. Like I wasn't ready for it when I went to uni. I was like, I'm just going to do everything, pass exams and stuff. And then like, I got my first essay back and I was like, oh, okay. Like they basically said <laughs> – I don't, you're not just meant to agree with me. <laughs> like, like, think about this, you know? And that's like, you know, that's, I guess, I guess, you know, I think that, I think we'll be okay, basically. I don't know. Okay. If Dave, Dave, do you agree with me? Yeah. Cause the first year of uni is mostly just teaching you all the skills you're going to need to get through your second and third year. And yeah. that's why your grades don't, your face throws on the most awesome porn face then. <laughs> he's had a few good ones this stream actually yeah, it's been really? amazing yeah like yeah. Like, yeah occasionally oh, it no. just completely freezes yeah. in a, like beautiful faces i'm gonna snap it and make the profile picture <laughs> no but yeah that's why your first year doesn't really count and it's only your second and third year that really count towards your grade so i, I think the difference is such coming from regular school to uni that it's not going to affect it too badly except maybe a few grounding ideas yeah oh hopefully uh, much in the same way as hopefully yeah uh, the the uh the issues aren't going to affect the youngins too much either yeah fingers crossed um so and Sarita says i had three lockdowns where i was not allowed to leave the flat and it did no good at all for my physical health that required me to shield but i didn't get COVID, and you had your pc and radio so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> at least, as you said earlier, at least we've got the technology to help ourselves yeah. uh, keep contacted. And, I, and I'm with you on the on the, the physical health side of things. I found it um, a lot harder getting the motivation to, to exercise in the way that I was before um, because you were doing less things. And, you know, you were trying to be really sensible. And I know that you, you, you could go out to do some of the exercise and, but it's just a bit like you know um so yeah no i i feel you there um ho hopefully you actually had uh some form of, of company for you there though um uh, i don't know your situation but uh you're still here so that's good <laughs> um right did you do you have anything else that you wanted us to cover off 
Yes. Oh, did you? <laughs> so, yeah. All oh, these tangents. <laughs> so, so, so having covered everything, let's go back to the question of the stream, right? Which is, is mental illness, what is it? In, is mental illness real? Yeah. Yeah. Is it real? What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what if I was to tell you that there's, sorry? I was going to say, I have to admit, I thought that before the stream started. So, <laughs> right, so your views haven't changed. That's good. Um, so what if I was to tell you that there is a group of people that are trying to uh, get rid of the medical model of mental illness uh, in place of basically the idea that uh, people that are experiencing mental illness are just perceiving the world in a different, unique way and that we should be more accepting of their uh, their approach to the world. And we shouldn't try to medicate it or treat it because it's perfectly acceptable. I would say if it negatively impacts their life, then they do need some help. Yeah. What if it negatively impacts their life because of society stigma towards that? That's their yeah, that's, yeah, that's why I would think more research would need to be done. Um, like if, if the treatments... It's, kind of sounds like Nietzsche's um, ideas, morality, where, you know, certain people should be allowed to drink all day if it's going to affect their creativity and make them better artists. They just have a different kind of moral lifestyle. Um, but I'm not really sure that that would be the case with all forms of mental illness. Like if you're in a psychotic state or you're in psychosis, then you're not just seeing the world in a different way. You're seeing it in a world that affects your day, seeing it in a way that affects your day to day, day life in a negative way and makes it harder for you to kind of live. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, at that, least that's my opinion. No, I'd agree with you there. And I, I'm trying to think of something that if we were to take away society's view and we were to say that it actually doesn't have any neg negative impact other than that, you know, what is there? I, I, I can't think. I, I can't think of anything. Can you ask, ask that question again? Sorry. Just, <laughs> I got distracted by something. Um, what? No, don't worry. Did Katie walk past naked again? No, no. <laughs> 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 no ask, ask that question again. Um, is there, uh, is there a, 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 a mental illness that actually has no negative effects other than society's view on it? Well, that's, I think that's the question, isn't it? So if there is, there is, there is actually um, a really good example of how society's view on uh, a mental illness can affect the experience of mental illness. So if we think about like uh, Caribbean cultures, for instance, they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of psychosis in Caribbean cultures. So in like Jamaica, uh, Barbados, etc. Right. And they used to, uh, think of it in a way of like it's a connection to the spirits yeah so people were hearing voices of, of of spirits and angels and stuff like that and it was a positive experience right and those people were regarded as like connected to the spirit world mm -hmm. um and now in the uk we have uh if you hear voices it's taboo it's not very good right you, you shouldn't hear voices that's something wrong with you right People have negative experiences, so they hear a lot more command hallucinations telling them to do bad things. They hear a lot more like uh, self-deprecating hallucinations. They see a lot more horrible stuff rather than positive stuff. So, in a society where the, the psychosis is accepted, they have positive psychotic experiences, and in a society where it's um, 
rejected, they have negative psychotic experiences. So in that positive, uh, in that society that accepts it, is there anything wrong with being psychotic? Are they prone to do dangerous things because the voices tell them, well, actually, no, we need to eat this baby, um, the voices told me. You know, but and everybody goes, oh, well, yes, you know, the voice has told you and you're connected to the spirit world. The spirits know, therefore we should eat this baby. Um, well, I guess that's that's the thing. So at that point, it would become more like a moral issue, wouldn't it? Yes. But if that person was um, like, so my view of it, if you want to hear my view. Of course. <laughs> that's, that, why, that's why you're here. Is that, is that, <laughs> is it? I thought I was here to bullshit you guys for two hours. Um, my view of it is that um, I totally understand it. Like, I think that um, medication and treatment should only be applied to, to uh, individuals where their mental illness affects their ability to, to cope and uh, puts them in danger or puts others in danger. So there was a woman, for instance, who uh, heard angels speaking. She was working on the, she, she wasn't working on the ward. She, she was uh, admitted to the wards because her psychosis had deteriorated, basically. She had hit angels, and she she came onto a ward, and within a, within two days, she was hearing uh, demons instead. She was like, I don't like this place. There's no demons speaking to me. The angels speak to me outside of here when I'm at home and stuff. The psychiatrist decided to discharge her without any extra medication or anything pretty much straight away because of the effect that the ward was the ward environment was having on her. It was making her more distracted. Her. It was actually causing more harm. Yeah, exactly. So her ability to cross roads, for instance, was completely thing because she was hearing these negative voices. She was more distracted, so she could have got hit by a car. Um, so the psychiatrist just went, I'm just going to discharge you um, and just stay in touch with our community team to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're still doing okay. You're managing to get your food shops and stuff like that and cope within the society. So for me, it's about that kind of like, you know, I'm not too bothered if somebody's hearing voices or not. If they're unable to look after themselves or they're a danger to other people, then that's when we need to think about treating it. If they're just having a pleasant yeah. psychotic experience and they can still cross roads and they can still get their food and they can still pay their bills and all that stuff, them have their fun psychotic experience, you know? Is there a chance, though, that someone in that state is more dangerous? Uh, so purely someone having a mental illness makes them less likely to commit uh, any kind of crime, right? Oh, really? Yeah. So so most people with mental illnesses are more likely to be the victims of crime. Okay. Somebody who has a mental illness who has committed crime is more likely to commit more crime if they have a mental illness. Right. So it's like <laughs> this weird kind of thing, right? It's either the extreme, like, not committing crime. Most people with mental illnesses don't commit crimes, but the ones that do commit more crime than the general population Fair. and with with mental illnesses that uh, or those that are mentally ill that commit crime is it more violent crime or is it a, a different kind of crime that's usually done well that's a good question i'm not sure about that i would say i would say they are probably more impulsive crimes yeah um rather than planned so yeah yeah i <laughs> i will look into that yeah, I'll come back to you. Interested? <laughs> yeah, definitely interested. Whether it's for the for a future stream or just when we take off air. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the you know the the kind of crimes that because if you think about the the prison population, right? I said earlier that like about half of them have a diagnosed mental health condition. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of those people have uh, psychosis, so some sort of psychosis, and a lot of them have depression and anxiety, self-esteem issues, right? And I think that if you're in those situations, like especially with anxiety and psychosis, the reason that you're in prison is because you got caught because it was an impulsive act based on like either you've been told to do something by uh, a voice or you thought somebody was like uh, uh, an MI5 agent and you, you called them out and then got into a fight with them or something like, you know, this, these kind of things. So you like, you had to fight for like freeze response and just reacted to someone and then like beat them up because you thought they were going to hurt you in some way or something. Mm. So I think those, those are the like, the kind of crimes that people tend to respond to, like if they have a mental illness, it tends to be kind of like these kind of things, more passionate, more impulsive crimes than like uh, shoplifting or embezzlement or stuff like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, no, that makes so, yeah, sense. So, yeah, I guess it would be, yeah. I guess it would be more violent, but... Yeah, not necessarily violent, but a higher chance of it being a violent crime of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, uh, <laughs> a couple of comments. Uh, and Sreda says, uh, I think some ancient shamans were schizophrenic, but that's no reason not to treat genuine illness. I saw a documentary on a shaman being ostracized because she did sacrifices at the wrong time. Uh, that's um, interesting in itself. Uh, but oh. if we focus on, on that, that genuine illness, that's sort of the, the point I was, I was making earlier. Um, you know, even the, this person, like for example, this person you were talking about who is, uh, listened to the angels, um, it seems to me like there's any point that, that that could switch to the demons. Okay, so it was that negative environment there that was doing it to her. But surely we should still treat someone who might be having a positive experience to try and stop the experience altogether to try and prevent the potential um because it's not just something like for example we'll, we'll call back to the bit the beginning part of the stream where we were talking about how some people see religion as a mental not mm. and realistically i think that we should just let people have their their beliefs even if we perceive them as irrational as long as they're not hurting anyone the second that they are doing you know they're believing something uh, that they fall into a pattern um where they have seriously harmful beliefs, we should actually try and do our best to to change those. I'm sort of, if we're talking along the, the mental illness front, because it is something that could so easily switch into a harmful behaviour, it's not just like having a belief system and then suddenly deciding to do something like, a, a, you know, an, a violent outburst, for example. That could happen because you know you're you might be having a positive uh, psychotic experience, but then all of a sudden it switches and mm. you're attacking everyone around you. So, whereas with a with a belief, it would be a long change, I imagine, over a lot of time to get to the point where they felt that they had to be in a frenzy and attack. I think that the um, so the average the average person with a mental illness is 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 not going to be uh violent in any way oh we've lost your mic there luke yeah am i back oh, oh my god back. you're back what's going on we're at the end <laughs> what's going on <laughs> um so so the so the average like person who's mentally ill uh will 
not be violent. It will just be them, you know, they'll be, they'll be more vulnerable themselves, actually, you know. And I think that, like, it is interesting. Um, there are some people I think that switch would happen. I think, like, bipolar would be a really good example where it's better to treat bipolar than to allow people to have, like, the, the high of being manic because the high of being manic feels really good, but they spend all their money, they have sex with complete strangers, they uh, eat like food that they normally wouldn't eat. Like I've, I've met like people who are like adamantly vegan because they don't, they, because of the moral issue of eating meat. And then they ate like loads of meat when they're in a manic phase and they felt really guilty about it when they came back down. So I think there's certain things that we need to take into consideration. It's a bit more complex than, than just like kind of like maybe that one woman with the angels and stuff. Right. Um, but I do also think that uh, the stigmatization of mental illness specifically schizophrenia psychosis uh etc causes people to have more negative uh experiences and therefore makes their experience of psychosis worse which makes their uh like presentation when they were having a psychotic experience worse so a part of a treatment actually would be destigmatizing it yeah. because people would be people can cope easier like if, if if you're walking down the street and someone's just saying nice things to you all the time that's a lot like easier to cope with than somebody just chatting shit at you for like all all hours <laughs> of the day, right? Yeah. You know, like like me being here, like if someone's saying, "Oh yeah, you're doing really well," you're all the points you're making are really good, really valid. You're smashing it. Like I'll be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll just carry on," right? But if 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 there's someone going your shit constantly, you know, I'd just be like, "I can't do this," right? You know, so. You know, it's about kind of like, well, what's the, what's the, I think it is what you're saying. We need to identify it still, mm-hmm. but whether it needs treatment, I think is the, the key. No, I agree with you. Sorry, your face just uh, froze again. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> I saw you put a face, I was like, something's happened. <laughs> We've got lots of porn covers ready. <laughs> so... Turn my camera off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll blur the eyes. <laughs> so a couple of uh, comments in the chat. Um, Oz says, religion perpetuates mental health issues by ignoring them and tells the person to pray more and have faith that God will heal you. They don't point people to professionals and medicine. I mean, that can happen. I mean, things like uh, faith healing and stuff like that are notoriously dangerous. But I don't think that that really uh, describes any or even most um, religions at all i think you're, you're talking about uh, an extremist point of view um obviously i don't have statistics on that but uh every religious person that i know um <laughs> still goes to the doctor um uh and and you know their their, their religious leaders will, would do them the same and i went to um very religious schools myself um and had to say the Lord's Prayer and do Sunday services at them and all of that. And, you know, we had a medical problem. We were sent to the doctor. So uh, <laughs> I I don't think that that is um, – you, should, you shouldn't make it a blanket term that, that religion perpetuates these mental health issues in that way. Um, it can do by some people. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's true. I think something that might make it seem like that happens more is the amount of, and the idea that religion is mental, like mental illness, is the amount of people who maybe are psychotic who have 
uh, either religious experiences or claim that they're like they're like Jesus or that they're in contact with Jesus or they've heard God or something like that. And that is just down to them responding to stimulus that's in the world. If we had a different word or a different kind of concept, uh, they would be using that concept. It's about kind of grandiosity. It's about um, feeling important. It's about uh, uh, like a supernatural thing, explaining that feeling that they're having through that means, you know, um, and using the language that we have in the, in the world. It's not necessarily about actually being Jesus. It's about kind of like, who's the most important person in the world? Jesus, therefore I'm Jesus. And it's that delusion that they have, <laughs> right? Yeah, fair. I, I suppose online interactions and that can also inform this. If we think about how, well, with every group, it's always, you always hear the the worst, don't you? Any group that's not yours anyway, you hear the worst stories about them. I often bring it back to how um, when we, when you hear about vegans, you hear about the, the holier than thou kind, the ones that throw pig blood over people eating meat and things like that and actually that's the small smallest smallest percentage of actual vegans but they're the ones mm. that are getting in the news um and it's the same thing with religion you always hear about the people who you know instead of getting cancer treatment for their child you know just prayed for it um and, and things along those lines and you always hear the absolute worst and that's what the news is really news is the bad news <laughs> the worst yeah. news it's never that's true actually a, a rounded picture because uh, i guess people aren't interested in that people are interested in the drama and negativity and look, being able to look down on people and call them stupid and and therefore you know they all of this negative information is presented to us and 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 we as atheists often see the just the negative side of theism and religion and actually there's a hell of a lot of positives to it too and we don't want to acknowledge those um and we can be very guilty of wiping that uh, uh you know under the table or or saying that it you know it was done all the positives come from from some form of yeah. atheism or non-theism or humanism or anything like that and it has nothing to do with religion we demonize uh religion in the way that that, that mental illness illness is stigmatized and then we conflate the two as well and <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a negative tangled web yeah and, and like just to plug my channel a little bit um if you want to see some like kind of average believers talk about their belief and stuff then i have uh, a few few conversations on my channel that them asking me questions and me asking them questions and it's like you can see that the kind of more average person rather than the kind of more fundamentalist online people true on your channel you do some uh ask an atheist and ask a theist and it's you yeah. and you've got a uh i think you've got a creationist friend a mm -hmm. general theist and a deist that you usually speak to don't you yeah um i'll, I'll quickly i'm going to load up your channel and put a uh, a link to it in the oh, chat nice. So uh, just just tell us a little bit more about your channel whilst I'm typing. <laughs> oh, well, so I guess, uh, like, I started out by writing a book or starting to write a book, uh, which we're currently doing, and then realized that uh, I need an audience for that if it's going to get anywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I need to start a YouTube channel as well. And the idea is that basically I'm taking things down to grassroots uh, because I think there's a big gap in uh, online atheist rhetoric about 
how do we cope with things as atheists? There's a lot of stuff around, oh, countering religion, and there's a lot of stuff around, uh, like, well, essentially anti-theist stuff, you know, um, which is fine. <laughs> but there's not enough, not, not, in my opinion, not enough stuff around, basically what you guys were chatting about in your stream last week, about, you know, how do we cope with things? How do we replace our the morality aspect like how do we get out of this whole like nihilistic thinking um and give ourselves purpose and stuff like that and so that's kind of what i want to help people develop a little bit and give people some ideas around where they can access information around that which is i've got some book reviews discussions with my dearest friends and then uh some drama <laughs> some... <laughs> which is, the drama videos have done the best obviously so <laughs> of course they do <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's the same with uh, any blog articles you write. If you put a clickbait title in, you'll get so many yeah. more. Well, not this one's going to get a lot. <laughs> <laughs> people are be like, "Of course, mental health rule." Yeah, and you know what? Most people won't have even taken the time to watch it and to find out any of the content. They'll be responding angrily. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've done a few articles along those lines, and you get people instantly responding, and it's like actually what you're saying was said in the first line of the article so if you'd actually taken the time to read it <laughs> yeah um yeah but then i guess uh, that's that's us to a tear isn't it we're all very hot-headed reactionary creatures ourselves <laughs> um so to come on to uh, a few uh more comments uh cafe says hey cafe by the way uh terence mckenna explained that in shamanistic societies the schizophrenic is revered uh it's told they'll lead the tribe that they're special and will become great masters um and contrast that to what schizophrenics are told in our society you can't hold a child you're sick you need help you're lower than worth the rest of us now that's that's what luke was saying earlier about there there are some people who with with certain um, uh, mental illnesses or disorders that could actually be having a genuine positive experience if it wasn't for the stigma in society. And um, there are others, obviously, that are just harmful through and through and they need the help. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think that maybe there is something that needs to be done about the stigmatism um, for, for the mentally ill. And it's all well and good, any of us saying here, well, we don't have that stigma. <laughs> that doesn't really help the larger part of society. And it is still viewed as a negative thing. And it still doesn't help that, as you mentioned really early on in the stream when you were talking about um, uh, psycho killers uh, and mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know, the way the way it's dramatised in, in all of the media uh, that we're... we're uh, we see on a regular basis we're, we're given yeah. such faulty information um we actually did a, a stream it was with you um on uh psychopathy didn't we so yes, it, it was a good good stream it was really enjoyable and Kristen was in that one as well so i mean it, i'd suggest watching that one if you're you're interested in uh, psychopathy from uh, an actual psychological perspective, not the <laughs> media bullshit that you get presented on a daily basis. I would also argue that I would, I'm willing to bet that all three of us here are still uh, stigmatized towards mental health. I'd say that there is still a stigma towards it because when you actually think about it, you think about the negatives straight away. 
that's what comes uh, up in your mind. Like if you were having uh, like a day where you were feeling like particularly mentally strained or something like that, um, maybe you feel you were feeling depressed um, and you had to call in sick to work. Would you rather call in sick to work and be honest about it, or would you rather call in sick to work and say you have diarrhea and vomiting or etc.? Being honest about it doesn't get you anywhere. Because if you are honest about they're it, stigmatized. Because yeah, they're no, stigmatized. It's true. It's true. Yeah. They stigmatize it. You talk about them. You you try That's and true. tell them what's going on, and they say, "Ah, oh, you've got nothing wrong with you. Just get yourself in." Um, That's true. So, and then you end up having to lie. You learn that lying is the only way to get out of it. Because you can't do it, you have to make up some illness because of the stigma, and then that stigma sits with you. And that's how it keeps going, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, okay. I think I think there's still going to be some stigma, but I think that there's the the willingness to try and undo it is at least a step in the right direction. I don't know how much of a big step it is, <laughs> but it's it's something. Um. So uh. So I mean, Oz is saying that in America it's the norm. So talking about the um the the stigmatized. Oh, within his particular uh church that i guess um so uh he was told it within christianity until about four years ago um he had 36 years of no therapy no meds nothing you should just trust god i mean i'm really sorry for your experience um maybe it is the norm in america uh i can't necessarily say that but what uh, denomination were you that could play a big part of it and whereabouts in america did you yeah. live? because again <laughs> your locale in america can uh, uh really really affect that sort of thing i lived in in michigan for a little while and whilst there were some people who were very very strict on their religion um medical problems were always dealt with medically so uh, uh I didn't actually have that experience when I lived in America, although I did have a friend that was beaten because they said that they didn't want to get confirmed. <laughs> so <laughs> it's 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 not all good. I think with America as well, you've got the issue of um, insurance healthcare, right? So yeah. if you have a particularly poor area and people don't have insurance and they don't have access to psychological therapies, how are they going to manage that? Yeah, they don't have universal health healthcare like they do somewhere over here. So, yeah, yeah, so like to me, it's like, well, Christianity is almost like a, it's not, it's not an effective way of coping with that stuff, but it's a way of coping. And for people who become atheists, it's really tough because it's like, it's the same thing. Like you know, I keep well, you guys spoke about in your stream last week, and I I keep banging on about it. it's like you need stuff to replace this too, because because. Religion is really good when you believe it, right? Coping with death, the the community, all of that stuff, it works really well. And then when we become atheists or whatever, it all just falls apart because because there's not the infrastructure in place. And that's a really key example about, you know, trusting in God. People will have better psychological experiences because they feel comforted by the fact that God is there. And us us not having that comfort will affect us. Yeah, so maybe it works for them, and I'm not excusing their behaviour at all, Oz. Just so you know, but just thinking in a, in a place where there's not access to effective therapies because of the the cost of them or something like that, that it's the only other option for a community of people. As there's a comment that's just come in um, as well. Um, 
which it's uh, not about this stream. So uh, I was just going to type a response, but you finished talking as I was typing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Cafe says you can't even have a moral conundrum without an objective moral framework, and you can't have an objective moral framework without God. Moral arguments coming from Athens, it's put the cart before the, the horse. Well, uh, I'd have to disagree with you. You can have objective moral frameworks without God. Um, and even if you can't have uh, even if you can't have an objective moral framework, you can still have a moral conundrum. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't mean as much. Um, but you can have objective moral frameworks without gods, and uh, we do. And if you're really interested, there's a few um, videos that we've done on this. Um, there's morality and misconceptions uh, and feedback on morality and misconceptions. There's the psychopathy and morality. There's uh, moral particularism and value pluralism. And also there is a post on... Um, Answers in Reason, which is called Does Morality Have a Purpose? And it examines a load of different objective moral frameworks uh, to uh, uh, locate a purpose of morality uh, and common themes within moral systems that would be essentially the goal, which we could then draw objective statements from. So in that regards, I'm afraid I'm just going to have to disagree with you. But I do agree with your uh, next statement. The new atheists are the most fundamentalist form of atheists. And by that, you're not talking about necessarily the, the new atheism in general. You're talking about the online internet atheists. But again, that's not what we're talking about on this stream. So I'm going to get back on topic. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, I if you yeah. guys ever stayed on topic. <laughs> we have topics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's mine? I could do with a new chocolate bar right now. Ooh. I but to be fair, right I, I don't like topics. They've got raisins in, don't they? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of raisins. Love fruit. Not a fan of dry fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that broke me, but it did. <laughs> I think it was just it was the strength with which you said it. The conviction. So, yeah, the conviction, that was it. <laughs> Uh, Oz says medical treatment for the physical body was completely accepted and endorsed, but mental health issues and or diagnoses were viewed as an attack of the devils or a sign of weakness. Uh, I grew up in the evangelical church and eventually navigated to a more progressive doctrine. So I think that is a case um, that you do see with with um, a lot of ev evangelical Christians and fundamentalist theists in general. Um, what the hell was that? That was my cat. That really scared me. <laughs> she doesn't make that noise unless she's getting lost, which is right there. Um, so yes, I I do um, I do understand and uh, I, I I do empathise with you there. And I'm sorry that you actually had to go through that. Um, and you do tend to have a lot more evangelical and fundamentalist uh, churches in 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 the United States. So. Um, yeah, uh, and unfortunately, I mean, like like uh, Luke was saying earlier, blimey, <laughs> she's mental tonight. Um, at, like Luke was saying earlier, the other issue you do have in, in America is 
all the uh, insurance issues. You don't have universal health care and there isn't this general encouragement and to, to do those things. And I must admit, even the school system out there was very, very different and there are a lot of topics that you were further behind in, in the sort of education system that that I was in beforehand. Um, so again, you wouldn't have necessarily had anything like that through your schools telling you on how uh, you, you know, uh, mental illness like. Uh, and we don't necessarily have much on mental illness in our in our schools here, but we do have things where we should, you know, we're made aware of it. And um, so, yeah, you're right. Healthcare is a whole other important topic and one that will probably go way too off uh, piste and take way too long and just end up, it has to be a stream of itself, really. I'd love to have a, a, a proper chat about universal healthcare in the future, especially if we can get someone who's really against it and can lay out why they are. <laughs> because as far as I can tell, it, I mean, it's got its flaws, but it's definitely better than not having it. <laughs> it just needs more funding rather than it being cut. Um, but that's a UK issue. <laughs> <laughs> there is a comment that I would like to hear your response to, Joe. I don't yeah. know if you've seen it yet. Uh, <laughs> so it's Cafe, I think, responding to what we were just talking about with the objective morality, uh, saying, I'll check them out, but in agreement, I'm in agreement with Jordan Peterson that atheists have to borrow from the- theism to ground morality. Yeah, I think I've seen that Jordan Peterson one that you're you're talking about. He was talking about I Sam have an Harris. About that. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, because he talks he talks to various people. He talks to Sam Harris about it. He talks to Ben Shapiro about it. He talks with most yeah. people about it. But yeah, I wrote an article on it because of the the fact that you know a lot of our morality isn't grounded on an atheistic yeah concepts really. Uh, I'd agree. <laughs> uh, but theistic morality is basically following God's rules. <laughs> So um, I don't know how it, it borrows from theistic morality. I'll check out your article, though. Um, I will like to get into it. Uh, a topic with raisins. Don't you mean a picnic? My top topics only have hazelnut and nougat. Oh, maybe I am I'm getting Googled confused. This. I'm going to yeah, Google this. Maybe it's the picnics that I don't like and the t- topics that I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting, like, I'm, I'm getting really hungry now. Uh, I think I might have to end the stream and go and eat something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Topics only have hazelnut. Wait, there's one. <laughs> there's one that's just come up called Minge. <laughs> You're not gonna, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it because it's. No, it's not coming up really. No. Oh, yes, yes, there is Minge. Oh, yeah, you can see it now. <laughs> oh, it's gone. Hang on. Oh, you frozen? <laughs> frozen perfectly. <laughs> Brilliant. That's your new profile. You eat Minge. Wow. <laughs> That's made my night. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Was there anything else you wanted to cover before we go tonight? I think I've covered everything. I think you have covered everything and then some. Because we've covered <laughs> topics and picnics. <laughs> um, 
Awesome. Right. Well, uh, we'll take some of these comments and maybe uh, do another stream. Um, Cafe, if you uh, read those articles and you have any feedback, that'd be great. I'd be happy to address them in a in a future stream as well, if you'd like. Uh, I do enjoy conversations about morality, and it's been uh, probably a couple of months before we've actually uh, since we've actually had a, a conversation on morality. So, um, and I do enjoy them so much. Um, <laughs> And Frida's going to try and get a hold of some minge. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, I uh, I do apologise for my confusion between topics and uh, uh, picnics. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I it's almost like your definitions of words don't matter. <laughs> this is why we should be using clear and concise terms. If we use every chocolate bar just being a topic, then, uh, you know, how do we know what chocolate bar we're talking about at all? Babies are topics. <laughs> uh, brilliant. I do have one important question for Luke, though. Oh, yeah. Is that oh. Eric Van Lustbader's The Ninja behind you? Where? Oh, uh, no. Oh. How to be a productivity ninja. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> it's a book I got from work. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Trying to tell me something, I think. I just saw Ninja pop up, and I thought, oh, is that Eric Van Lusbaker? No. No. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Sorry, I get very nosy when I see books. <laughs> I wonder why, you know. Uh... Yeah, eventually I'll have my study and I'll have all my books in there and you'll see that pretty much every single one of my books was written by Terry Pratchett or David Eddings. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thing. No. <laughs> um, yeah, still can't wait for The Office to be done. Gonna, I haven't even started work on it out there yet. Uh, so much to do. But eventually, eventually, a proper man cave. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, and I'm an apicanist. <laughs> cool. I am going to uh, say goodnight to everybody. Thank you very much for coming. And Luke, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, nice one. I learned yeah. a lot. Yeah, and so did I. Uh, I'm probably going to have to re-watch the stream to remember it all. <laughs> uh, and to find some of the freeze frames. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also going through converting uh, all the new streams into uh, audio podcasts as well. So uh, it'll give me an opportunity to at least re-listen to, to this. I'll listen to it then. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And uh, thank you, everybody who's been joining in, especially in the chat, and to everybody that's watching this uh, on the rerun. You've been listening to the Fresh Air Sci Fi Show. I'm Joe. He's Luke. <laughs> and he's Dave. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> Good night, all. Bye. Chocolate. <laughs>